Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. FNZ, it's the lunch hour on a Thursday. Quick shout out to my friends at Carolina Custom, where if you can dream it, they can build it. Go to CarolinaCustomWheels.com. We got a big show still ahead. Coming up at 1 o'clock, I'm going to yell at Luke DeCock of the Raleigh News and Observer. We're going to argue, kind of. I I, I didn't like the, the ultimate thesis of his piece very much two days ago. Luke's a very talented writer, but... Uh, him, him trying to paint uh, North Carolina sending kids home to full remote learning while still considering playing a football season, uh, he believes is, uh, I guess, the smoking gun that killed amateurism. I, I disagree. I, I think that uh, we, A, knew that it was a problem a long time ago, and B, it, it does in many ways uh, set up for a more conducive environment to play something that these these players, by and large, overwhelmingly want to do. Uh, more articles this morning about upperclassmen pleading with their respective conferences and leadership to let them play. And and to, they, they believe they can do it safely. So, you know, we'll get to all that and more right now with Coach Matt Darty, longtime Tar Heel, national champion, former head coach, ACC network analyst. Coach is back in studio. What's up, buddy? Hey, it's good to be back. Good to have you. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading a piece. I, I'm worried about college athletics. I really am. <laughs> I, I, I hate to be. Is, I, that, a, is that an alert? Breaking yeah, news? I'm worried, man. I really am. Like, I, you know me. I, I like to try to stay upbeat and positive as much as possible. But, you know, I, I'm reading Pat Forty's article this morning. Uh, and it's literally, Coach, it's entitled, Everyone in College Sports is Miserable Right Now. That's that's Forty's piece. And, and a couple of things stuck out to me. But a quick quick bit from this. Uh, you know, where he says, quote, uh, one of his sources who works in the stubborn six leagues still planning to play was surprised at where we stand, saying, quote, after the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceled, I thought there would be a lot more pressure on us to follow suit. Whatever pressure is out there has been withstood so far, but it's not easy because some of the pressure is still coming from within the guts of every single decision maker. That source, like the other two dozen college administrators, coaches, or athletes I've talked to this week, sounded conflicted. Nobody's sure what to do. There's absolutely no conviction, not in postponing, not in proceeding. Every decision is accompanied by a twist of doubt about what is the right thing to do. A shortened fall season with almost no fans and a, no true national championship in the midst of a pandemic with no vaccine yuck an ersatz spring season that may or may not happen with the vaccine that may or may not happen and could negatively impact next season yuck we don't have any good options that source says everyone in college sports 
is miserable right now. And one more thing I want to point out. He says, athletes are beyond tired of the uncertainty and the lack of concrete answers from their university leaders. One Power 5 athletic director met with a group of athletes and said he could see the strain on their faces and hear it in their voices. The mental health concerns are real, whether a season is being played or not being played. A group of five AD apologized to his football team for lack of leadership right now in college sports, end quote. That last part to me is what I was harping on last week, and I took a little bit of heat, you know, because some people thought I wasn't going far enough up the ladder, far enough up the food chain, you know, and getting after some of the leadership. But it couldn't be clear that's the real issue this this body is facing right now. Nobody really wants to step up and be a true leader here. Well, I, I think uh, first of all, I have been critical in NCAA and Mark Emmert, um, uh, as as a lot of people have. In this situation, he doesn't have control over football. Uh, so that's, A, part of the problem. Uh, two, there's no, you know, who is the czar of college football? Who is the commissioner of college football? The other thing, and, and this is where I don't fault any leaders, no one knows. You cannot stand in front of a group, a football team, coaches, administrators, and say with, with, with conviction that here is the plan we must follow. I talked to Bob McKillop recently, the head coach at Davidson. I said, Bob, how, how do you handle this? How do you plan? He says, day to day. Day to day. I just got to try to get better today. Because you don't know. You cannot plan. You know, you see the plans with the University of North Carolina. Students come back. Whoop. Tap the brakes. The students aren't. And I've said this on BT, and I think I've said it here. Our country's not disciplined enough. We're not set up. Kids feel entitled. They're so disrespectful. There's a lack of disrespect. There's a lack of discipline in our country for a lot of people, not only young people, college students, but adults. They don't want to wear masks. They don't want to social distance. They're idiots. So um, for a leader in college athletics to say, here is our plan, they'd be lying to you. Now they should give you three options. I've said this from the beginning. Full-blown, season, normal, students on campus. Number two, hybrid. You know, remote learning. Um, we're not going to travel outside our conference. Uh, and then thirdly, no football, no basketball, no students on campus. Don't, but um, I guess my question to you is there, first of all, to your point about the, the discipline and whatnot, watching Nick Saban plead with people in Alabama two days ago to do those things was, was just mind-boggling. You know, it, it, was, it was something to behold. But beyond that, don't you think we're beyond that point, though, where we have the, you give these, this three-tiered plan? Like, I, I think what you yeah, just said makes yes. a lot of sense, but oh, we're, yeah. we're beyond yeah, that no, point now. But that's my point is, okay, you have those plans, but then you've got to be able to be nimble and pivot daily because what worked yesterday doesn't work today um what is a good plan yesterday could be obsolete today because this covid thing man um it's the quickest virus quickest opponent any team in the ncaa has ever faced oh it's true now and and to something else you said there i'm, I'm glad you brought up north carolina because i'm going to get into this with luke decock here in about 55 minutes I, I like Luke, but I, I hear people saying, well, okay, North Carolina just reversed course. They sent everybody back home or off campus. They're going to go full remote learning. So if you're going to kick these kids off campus and go full remote learning, if you try to play a college football season, that's the smoking gun. That's what proves these guys are essential Rose, employees or, yeah. or whatever else you want to call them. 
I don't think it's quite that clear cut because I do think it does set up a defecto or de facto bubble. Right. I do think it can make that that thing safer. Mac Brown has talked about this. I, I, I thought that that would be my daughter's a senior at UNC. She rose, and from the beginning. I thought that this might be the best plan, but if it came out in, as the initial plan, no students on campus, but we can play football, you're like, oh, you know, and I think one of the presidents, I think at Michigan or somebody in the Big Ten said, if the students aren't on campus, we're not going to play football. Mm -hmm. um, however, the way it's played out could be in the best case scenario for North Carolina football. Somebody called yesterday and said, well, well, how come then they can't run cross country? Or how come then they can't do some of these other non-revenue fall sports? I said, well, it's a, it's a fair question, but it, it still comes down to an issue of money. It is very expensive still mm -hmm. to test all these kids, to put the, place, the, the procedures about in place. A, about $160 a test, and you're lucky to get it back. That's a whole other topic now. I, it I, is. I'm, I'm involved in the PPE space, and I've just been really getting up to speed on COVID tests. And I talked to my daughter. Her first COVID test um, was the swab. They call it PCR. And it comes back. It came back in a week. And I said, that's so ridiculous because it's obsolete by the time you walk out of the facility where you got tested. Uh -huh. So it comes back positive and you think, I'm good. But yet I, I, I walked by a fraternity party. I went to lunch with my teammates. There's a false sense of security, but the there's these COVID rapid tests, which... Yeah, we uh, talked about that. Which, which are blood tests that, well, some are blood, some are saliva, but they they give it back to you in 20 minutes. Now, there's there's some people that don't like those. It's like it's like the Democrats and the Republicans. Oh, I'm not I'm not going to like I don't like the covid rapid test. I've got to do the um, the nasal swab. And and they're like, whoa, 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 they can work together because you need to test these kids almost daily. And it's expensive. Well, those covid rapid tests are less than 20 bucks or less. Sure. So you do that. And then if someone triggers a positive then you do the nasal swab then you isolate well and, and what i was driving at there too is that you know regardless of how you feel about it the the fact remains the reality is that if, if, if football doesn't exist it, it, those sports go away football pays for everything yeah. and, and, and in some places like chapel hill there's a few places where basketball obviously obviously is a huge revenue generator too right. but the point is college football drives the money train right. and I, I i said earlier in the show i've got a buddy and I won't say who or where, but, you know, he just he's been in college athletics for years and, and he just assumed control of basically the, the CFO position of a big, a big program, big college football program. And, and he was asked, uh, we, we asked him the other day, we're going to play. And he said, man, I, I don't know. But from a financial standpoint, we kind of have to. Yeah, that's the way they all feel right now. Yeah. We kind of have to, because without it, we may not have any money to move forward yeah. anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I think I think and, and the other thing you see what the players want to do. You see what the coaches want to do. I mean, just look at all the dis, dis, disarray in the Big Ten where parents and players and coaches want to play. Obviously, they do. So there's going to be no objection from most players and parents and coaches to playing the game. And I do think that it's, it's a better – because it does provide the bubble scenario where – they're isolated on campus. There's no one else around. If they're socializing, that's the 
the biggest risk, are they socializing? You know, on a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, whenever football players should be in their, in their rooms on a Friday night. But you can't control the socialization. And, and so now if they are in a bubble, that would be the healthiest environment for the football. It will bring us back a little bit more towards normal in the world of college athletics. And there are financial benefits. And I don't think anybody would object to that as a player, coach, or parent. No, and I'm I'm looking ahead too, right? The the, the money in the, in college football is a big part of this, but I'm also looking ahead because, as we know, the NCAA doesn't control the college football postseason, right? right? But it desperately needs an NCAA yes. tournament. Yes, it does. I mean, the, the very existence of the NCAA is riding on having an NCAA tournament of some kind in 2020 or 2021. I think you'd agree with that. Coach K's preaching that. He's oh, yeah. banging that drum right now. The very existence of the NCAA is, is in many ways dependent upon being able to pull off a, a tournament in 2021 because when they missed it in 2020, it cost them billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know yeah, what you mean. You know what I mean? You yeah. get it as much as anybody. Yeah, that's a cash cow for the NCAA. It finances everything. I mean, it's it's um, amazing the money that that NCAA tournament brings in, and I think they'll figure out a way. The good thing is that you have the NBA as a model with what they've done and, and kudos to Adam Silver and his staff. Um, it's been fun to watch and it's gone off without really uh, uh, much, much, many issues. And um, so I think they have that. And plus they have the lead time, you know, it is a spring event. So you can play basketball, maybe just uh, within the season, expand your season like the SEC is doing in football, um, play 20, Two games, play 24 games, play 30 games within your conference. You can play more games in a week. Now you have less travel um, and and you have remote learning. So kids aren't technically missing classes because they could take their classes on their computers while they're on the road. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of interesting things happening out there right now. Some of it's frustrating and then some of it gives you some. You know, some some very pessimistic feelings about sports, but there are some good things to look to. I just I thought Forty's article was really interesting because it's reflective of what I'm hearing from a lot of people in college athletics right now. Mm-hmm. They're they're angry, they're frustrated, mm-hmm. they're fed up, they don't know who to listen to, they don't know what's going to happen, and that's a difficult environment to work in, especially if you are still trying to pull off a season. Well, that's where you know we talk about a lot about leadership. The leaders need to be transparent and just be honest and say, listen, we have this is our plan today. But this is a really difficult opponent in COVID, and we don't know if this plan will work tomorrow. We'll see what happens. I want to talk some NBA draft lottery when we come back. Coach came skipping in saying, I heard you breaking it down, the NBA draft lottery tonight. We'll talk about the Hornets' odds, uh, who he likes, and if this is the most unpredictable NBA draft in quite some time. I, I absolutely think that it is. Anywhere from Anthony Edwards to LaMelo Ball to Denny Avia to James Wiseman to... I mean, honestly, a half a dozen guys. Jonathan Wasserman broke it down beautifully in his latest piece this morning. There's more uncertainty surrounding this draft than we've seen since probably 2013. The guy to my right, Coach Matt Darty, used to be a scout for the Indiana Pacers. He knows about evaluating pre-draft. We'll lean on his expertise next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ is a complete team effort. Live or online, use the radio.com app and download and listen to all your favorite FNZ shows. It's Wilson and Parcel. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio. 
Radio FNZ. It's the lunch hour on a Thursday. That means Coach Matt Darty back in studio with us. Follow us on Twitter at Kyle Bailey Club. It's at Kyle Bailey C L U B at Darty Matt. And you can always hit us up in some way, shape, or form on the Building Center text line or the Asa Abloy phone line, 704-570-9610. Coming up in 45 minutes, we'll talk to Luke DeCock of the Raleigh News and Observer. Uh, the Canes are done, finished again, finished off by the Bruins yesterday, and uh, we'll get into some of the latest from college athletics. Panthers practice going on right now, and uh, we'll get you some some news and notes from what's going on this morning up on Cedar Street. But uh, with Coach in studio, and tonight, the NBA draft lottery set to take place. I want to talk a bit about what the Hornets may do in the NBA draft. The lottery is tonight. The draft itself is coming up in October. But, Coach, you uh, you said you were driving in and heard us get to this. I mean, just a, a completely wide spectrum of opinions on this NBA draft class and and who may go where. I've, I've, I haven't seen it this wide open in years. I don't have a clue who, who goes first overall this year. Yeah, I, I think it is a, it's certainly a challenge. It, it's, it's, it's scary. Uh, the drafts are scary anyway. Um, I think the people that are usually most scared, unless there's um, the Pelicans when they had the number one pick and Anthony Davis was in the draft. It was it was Anthony Davis and everybody else. That's easy if you're the number one pick, but if you're not there, if it's not that clear cut like now, you, you're you're risking. Okay, you see Anthony Edwards from Georgia. I'm looking at the mock draft with uh, J- Jonathan Gavoni on ESPN, and you have James Wiseman, Lamelo Ball, um, Ad Ad Adija. Oh, Denny Avia. Yeah, Avia from uh, Tel Aviv. Yeah. Um, and then you have uh, uh, Kanku uh, from USC and Obi Toppin, number six. I know Obi pretty well because he was at Dayton and I was in the Atlantic 10 for a while. My point is, Obi Toppin at six could end up being the best player in the draft. You know, you look back like Steph Curry. You know, um, uh, you, you you look back on these drafts and, and then then those GMs and franchises get graded. And so it is it's it is risky. And maybe this is a draft where you say, okay, I'm the number one pick. Do I trade down? I look at it like a yield curve. When I worked on Wall Street, there was a yield curve. And when it's flat, you can go back in years and get the same return, you know, on a 10-year bond versus a 30-year bond. So trade your number one and maybe get a four and a five or a four and a seven or, you know, where you can maybe now diversify your risk and have two shots at getting two really good players that may be the best players in the draft, you know, those types of things. So you're looking at all kinds of scenarios, um, but it is, is scary. You know, there's no clear cut in my mind, you know, Wiseman is very good, uh, but he's probably a true center. Um, You know, I really think Anthony Edwards is very, very talented and maybe the most talented player in the draft. Then you have Lamella Ball, and you say, "Well, he, he like you said earlier, he played in Australia. Uh, boy, he's good, man." And I, 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 you have to avoid the biases. Like I don't like his dad, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I shouldn't draft him one. No, if he's good enough, right? You, you, you do it. Right. You know, you, you. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the Lakers might feel a bit different after yeah. what they dealt with, but I see your point. You shouldn't let that no, the, sway the, you. The thing is hard as human nature comes into play, and I look back on draft picks like. And we've talked it, talked here about about uh, I, I still blank blank on him. The kid uh, that played at NC State is with the Pacers. T.J. Warren. Uh, T.J. Warren. Yeah. I didn't like T.J. Didn't like his body language. Didn't like 
his his attitude, didn't like the way he treated his teammates. He's a hell of a pro. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, thought he was too slow, didn't think he was athletic enough, shot was too mechanical, um, had a foot injury. We red flagged him with the Pacers. Turns out, guy's not a good player. He's a great player. And, and so um, you really have to fight some of the biases and have multiple eyes. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of luck involved. And, and now you're removing an extra opportunity for NBA teams to evaluate. And so they didn't have the NCAA tournament to evaluate. They didn't have um, the Chicago pre-draft camp to evaluate. They they didn't have their individual workouts where they can bring players into their facility and work them out. And at first, those things scared me because sometimes people say, oh, you shouldn't go based on that because you've had this body of work. But it's the first time you get to, you put your hands on them. It's the first time you get to see them up close and put them in drills that would, would be similar to what they see in the NBA and to challenge them mentally. And I remember watching film on... Um, uh, I remember um, we had Miles Turner come in. Miles Turner was from Texas, a freshman, uh, went pro, very stiff-legged. Based off of what I saw during the season, I didn't think he was going to be a lottery pick. He came in, and his agent helped change his body and, and improve his flexibility. He outplayed Frank Kaminsky in the workout. So, you know, I have to stand as a scout. Their exercises, the scouts have to stand before Larry Bird, um, Kevin Pritchard, Donnie Walsh, and the owner, and discussed the players. And I said, Miles Turner's better than Frank Kaminsky. He, 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 he ran better, which was surprising. Frank's not a, a jet, but Miles was struggled as a freshman. He shot it better. Frank couldn't score over him. And it turned out to be yeah. good. Now, I've missed as many as I've, I've predicted. Donovan Mitchell, who I saw at Louisville, and he was a little loose with the ball. Was he a one? Was he a two? He's kind of an, just an athletic guard. He came into the workout. Well, first of all, we had lunch with him. And I'm like, man, this kid's sharp. Like, I sat across from him. I'm like, this kid is sharp and a good kid. And there was another player who sat next to him who was a lottery candidate. Nice kid, but you could tell he wasn't that smart. Right. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's a problem. Because you think of all the rotations and the yep. plays, and he's not going to get it. Defensive, I mean, like, he just like defensive switches yeah. and all yeah. the things that... Donovan Mitchell, yeah. that guy, he, he, he had something about his personality, his, the, 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 the sparkle in his eyes, and I, I liked the kid. And then he came in, and he could get a good shot anytime he wanted in those workouts. I'm like, and he had range. Pull-up, jumper, range, three-point range. I'm like, this kid is... And then what happens then is upper management, you, you talk about, I like Donovan Mitchell. They say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're drop, jumping him from 17 on your list to number six? I'm like, yeah. You know, and they're like, no, 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 that's not... You know, you need to do on one workout? Like, so that those are the arguments you have in these rooms. Like, yeah. You know, and, and like, no, that's not, you know, so uh, I don't think we had a chance to draft Donovan anyway, but those are the conversations that go on and why mistakes happen because you're relying on human beings. Well, that's, and to that point, I, I it actually, you, when you said something, it, it 
it took me back to an article that Tom Haberstrow wrote over at NBC Sports, and I pulled this up, and it's entitled, it came out last June, and we talked about it then, it was entitled, Are We Getting Worse at the NBA Draft? Mm-hmm. And what he points out is, he starts with saying, you know, the Toronto Raptors just won the NBA title without a single lottery pick on the roster, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Leonard pick 15th, Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, all picked in the back of the first round. But he goes on to also talk about how, with more, you know, predictive analysis and technology and the rise of analytics than ever, you know, it would it would lead you to think that we'd do nothing but get better at drafting. But it seems NBA teams are getting worse at drafting over the years. Is it getting tougher? Are they including too much information? What do you think? Because yeah. it does seem like people are whiffing more often. I think a couple things that come to mind with that comment. There are too many non-basketball people involved in the draft because of the analytics side. So it went heavy analytics. And... and Analytics work more in baseball because baseball is truly an individual sport. You know, you're a baseball guy. You know, it is really a selfish individual sport. Like the best thing you can do for yourself as a baseball player is the best thing you do for the team unless you're asked to sack fly or, right. uh, you know, uh, uh, smoke. I'm it, talking it's, here. It's a team. Whoa, 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 no, no, to, to underscore smoke, your smoke. point, though. Yeah, but, I'm, uh, I'm underscoring yeah, your point because yeah, you're right. It's a team yeah. game that's underscored by individual achievement. Right. right. And, and, and so... Um, in basketball, you are so reliant on your teammates for your success because if somebody doesn't set a good pick, you know, Steph Curry doesn't get open. If somebody, if Steph Curry gets open and Clay Thompson throws him a pass at his knees, that takes him out of his rhythm on a shot, so he shoots short. Yeah. Um, so it's more reliant and it's free-flowing. The stats are so uh, dependent on your teammates and where in baseball it's not. So the, the analytics, I don't really think, is fit as much. So the NBA's been funny because it'll be a pendulum. It'll swing one way, and it'll start to swing back to the middle, where analytics is a piece, but not the deciding factor. So I think the people with the basketball IQ, acumen, the Mitch Kupcheks of the world, they will benefit as a result. The other thing I will add is there's a lot of good players out there. Yeah, and the player development now is really, really good. You see, um, uh, Siakam with with um, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, woo! I mean, that dude has gotten better. Uh, Seth Curry, I watched last night with with the uh, Mavericks. Man, that kid is 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 balling. T.J. Uh, uh, Burke, who plays for the Mavericks, who came was highly thought of at Michigan. I didn't really like him. I didn't like his size. I didn't think he had great quickness to create space. Um, he's gotten better because now basketball is a 12-month-a-year thing where, you know, years ago, guys would take the summers off. So I think the player development is better. So you can see a Jimmy Butler who gets drafted 30th turn out to be an all-star because they can improve. And the most, the quickest way for a player to improve is their shooting. Um, because they finally get coached. A lot of kids at a young age don't get coached well on shooting, and they have bad habits. And if they can tweak that and they become a, a shooter, like I saw Dorian Finney-Smith last night. Yeah, no kidding. That dude couldn't shoot. A when lick. I, I didn't like him at Florida. He had some issues, you know, as a, as a young man, uh, a little high maintenance, uh, but long and athletic, and now he can shoot. Yeah. Wow. 
difference maker. No, no question. I, and before he got to Florida, as you know, Seth Greenberg recruited him to Virginia Tech. And oh, I, I got listen, to, you got a tie in Virginia but, Tech But stuff? I'm trying to support oh, your point. I'm trying to stop being so sensitive. I'm trying to do you Montrose a favor. Montrose Harrell and was try, committed well, to Virginia Tech, too. Please don't torment me, because we can go to Steph Curry, too. <laughs> what I was going to say was, you're right. I saw Dorian Finney-Smith as a freshman from the sidelines thinking that kid couldn't hit water from a boat. Right. right. And then you watch him last night. Right. And he's got a jumper. With confidence. With real confidence. I mean, it really is amazing. You're right. That's the thing that can completely transform a player. So you you, you acquire players in different ways. I I, I say this. Draft, trade, free agency, and player development. Because you can turn a player who's average into a good player. A good player into a great player by player development. No doubt. And again, I, I think I'll post this again. Uh, because I, I think it's a, a really good read, even though this this was written a year ago by Tom Habershow. And I'm going to try to catch up with him this week about this. But he, he talks about, again, you would think with all the predictive analysis and the rise of analytics and all this, that people would be getting better and better at drafting each and every year. But it would appear that they're actually getting worse. These front offices are doing a worse job of identifying the best talent. So you never want, I don't think you ever want to say, well, it doesn't matter where you draft. Because it, it still does. You, you, yeah. You still I'd want, rather draft first. Well, right. You still want to have the crack well. at it. But, again, if you have a front office like the one that I think the Hornets have assembled here that appear to know how to evaluate basketball talent, you don't have to draft first overall if you know what you're doing. Correct. And you look at the sweet spots of, you know, the now look at the data, mine the data for the draft, where are the most, you know, all-stars per draft slot. Um, those those are interesting things. There's... There's, uh, you know, that that would be an interesting study to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll post this article during the break at Kyle Bailey Club. It's a really good look into how the NBA draft has evolved in recent years. And, you know, you can look at 2018 and say, well, hey, that was, you know, this worked out pretty well. It's true. Then you go 2017, 2016, and you start to realize there were a lot of whiffs early in that draft. Oh, man. You know, Darko Milicic, who was drafted ahead of yeah. uh, Carmelo Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Um, you, There's some prominent examples. You, you can look at uh, Michael Jordan when he's with the um, Washington Wizards and drafted um the kid who was going to go to Florida from Georgia. Smoke, what's his name? What you got, Smoke? Kwame Brown. Kwame, Kwame Brown. Brown. Yeah. Right. And I, you'd look at Kwame Brown in a in a AU game, and I thought he was the first picked in the draft. But we're, we're going to have the whole package. We're going to put Coach on the spot next. Who should the Hornets pick, and what does he think about the NBA playoffs <laughs> to this point? You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Radio FNZ. Get your opinions raw every day. Listen to Kyle Bailey anywhere on the radio.com app. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Cruising on a Thursday, Kyle Bailey alongside coach Matt Darty, longtime Tar Heel national champ, ACC network analyst. One more segment to go with him. Luke DeCock will join me coming up at the top of the hour here in about 22 minutes. And coach, we got questions all over the place for you. I want to start with a phone call here because Craig's been waiting and he wants to, uh, I guess, challenge you on your analytics take, saying right. that uh, analytics has taken too big a slice of the, uh, the basketball community. All Craig, right. I appreciate you holding, buddy. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing well. What's on your mind? Well, for uh, Matt, Coach Darty, I'm just trying to understand when you say that analytics doesn't 
matters much or it matters more in basketball than baseball and baseball is a selfish sport in my opinion it every team sport is a team sport so you're saying that baseball is a selfish game and quite frankly my biggest loves are college basketball and college football and i'm a unc alum so what you're saying is when you talk about analytics well wouldn't the hornet since michael has been the owner who i love I guess analytics would have probably worked out better for him because if you can name me one pick that R23 has made since he's been the owner and responsible for drafting, then I will do it. And remember, he took Malik Monk one spot ahead of Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. So you explain that to me how analytics don't work because I can guarantee you that my favorite player ever, 23, he could have used some analytics. Craig, I appreciate the phone yeah, call. I, um, I think Craig maybe had it a little wrong. He did. Uh, you know, basketball, um, the, the the analytics don't impact um, work as well with basketball as it does baseball. Baseball is more of a selfish sport, and I don't mean that in a bad way towards the players. It's more of an individual sport, I'll put it that way, yeah. where their stats, what they can do individually – Catch, catch the ball, throw someone out, steal a base is good for their individual stats, but it's also good for their team. Hit a home run, get on base. Where in basketball, going for a steal, uh, going for a block, forcing a shot is not good. And, 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 and so that's not necessarily in the best interest of the team. So, um, and then... You know, I, I, he kind of lost me a little bit. Um, well, let me let me, I, let me try something. I, what he said for a second, because when he said that, you know, analytics could have determined whether or not to take Donovan Mitchell or Malik Monk. Well, I don't necessarily buy into that personally. Let's also remember about a dozen teams also passed on Donovan Mitchell. Okay, yeah. so it's not just the Hornets that yeah. did that, uh, and it also speaks to this this Haverstrow piece. Where, I mean, if you want to talk analytics, there's actually a direct correlation, as he puts it, between draft slotting and win share. And it's gotten worse over the years. And that's sort of the crux of his argument, saying with all the rise of analytics and all the, the, the technology that we have at our disposal, it logically would lead you to believe that drafting would become easier and more accurate. But in fact, the opposite is happening. Right. So it's not just about MJ passing over Donovan Mitchell. It's about as the years have gone on, the win shares correlating to draft slotting has actually become you know less reliable and less accurate in terms of these teams drafting players that lead to greater number of wins that's what tom haverstrow was saying yeah so i i don't think the analytics with donovan mitchell and malik monk and i've seen malik monk since he was uh, going uh well, since a senior in high school and i've evaluated him very closely um they don't like there was no comparison like Malik Monk um look at his body look at his size and and you look at Donovan Mitchell's body and size one uh and they're both good athletes Donovan Mitchell's more of a powerful athlete and then Malik didn't have any point guard skills uh he didn't have that mentality um Malik you know was a shooter scorer um, and was good in college. However, he wasn't a very good defender. Um, I, I used to see him, I call it Velcro, when a defender hits a screen and sticks. Uh, he, 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 he was Velcro. He, he, he couldn't get around. He wasn't physical enough, and I don't think he had the want to, where Donovan, I think, is naturally a little bit more um, competitive, 
and and uh, more of a committed defender. I agree. And and when you talk about you and, know, and, and by the way, that has nothing to do with analytics. That's no, the eye test. No, I agree. Yeah. And, and and that's why I think it's been so. Maybe illuminating is the wrong word because I always thought that Mitch Kupchak was a good basketball evaluator, but I think it's also been a bit more underscored here recently where you have these organizations that are, I mean, maybe not entirely, but overwhelmingly now driven by the analytical yes. approach to evaluating and identifying talent, whereas Mitch is an old school basketball guy right. who is, is watching these players, evaluating based on the way he was taught by Jerry West, and he's finding good basketball players. Yeah, see, here here's a lot of the thing, the, the talk in the NBA when I was working for the Pacers. A lot of the owners are very smart, smart money guys. And, you know, a lot of them hedge funds guys, a lot of them, you know, Wall Street, you know, they, so they could relate to the analytics. They could relate to the, the numbers. They could relate. And so they were comfortable in, in talking to um, the GM who had the analytic background because it made sense to them. Uh, talking to someone, say, like a Mitch or – you know, who was more of a basketball, they didn't, that didn't, that didn't fit with them. That didn't fit. They, they weren't comfortable with that. So they hired people who they were comfortable with. And you saw some success with Daryl Morey uh, with the Houston Rockets. And Daryl started the analytic craze in the NBA and, and he's done well, obviously with it. And they're, they're cutting edge, man. I mean, they're playing small ball. PJ Tucker's the center yeah. on that team at six, <laughs> six, you know, <laughs> they trade, they trade away their best big guy. Um, and, and, and there are three-point shots and drives to the basket. Now, can they win a championship like that? That remains to be seen. But so then, like football, like, like, like basketball, baseball, every, it's a copycat league. So if someone finds success, they say, oh, we got to go to analytics. So we got to hire an analytic guy. So you hire an analytic guy. And then, you know, you don't want to be the... F- 10th, 12th, 15th team to implement that because then you're late to the party. It's like it's like uh, Moneyball in baseball. Yeah, well, and, and by the way, real quick, we had uh, uh, Craig, who was the caller. Right. He followed up, and I just want to bring this back because he's trying to make a different point here. He says, uh, this is Craig. What I meant was that 23, he's talking about yeah, Jordan, right. is a terrible draft guy. Hold on, Malik Monk can't shoot, and he doesn't play defense. Well, Malik Monk can shoot. Yeah. And let's also not forget exactly what, what Parcel just stopped by the window and did this. No, he has the ability to shoot it really well. Okay, he can stand alone in a, in a, in a That's gym. That's what he does. He's a shooter scorer. Exactly. Now, you say he can't play. He doesn't play defense. His defensive presence and awareness and effort has absolutely yeah. been an issue at times. But when you go back and look at his last 15 games before his suspension, yeah. you saw him. You saw it click for him. Yeah, so he's that, starting to get better. That was why it was so unfortunate that it happened when it did. And he said, well, and and when you're talking about if it's the eye test, how do you take Monk? Well, there are a lot of reasons for that. But if you're going to drive purely at analytics, well, then how did the Cavaliers take Anthony Bennett over Giannis Antetokounmpo in the the 2013 draft? Yeah, that was so bad. (laughs) Uh, Now, listen, I agree with Craig. I I think that they, you know, Malik Monk was a bad pick at that slot. I mean, and, and here's the, again, it goes back to bias. Like, we would say, okay, if... John Morant played at Kentucky. He'd be the number one pick. If 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 Malik Monk played at Murray State, he might be the fifteenth pick. I got one for you. If Michael Kidd Gilchrist played at Georgia Tech, he Correct. doesn't go second overall. Correct. The, so those, those, that that's my. Those are the biases we have to fight. And there's so many good books about you know. Uh, the, 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 the social economics and the biases um, 
that we we all have and we all have to recognize and fight and that's where you have to have open discussion and honest discussion i remember a, a scout telling me carl nix who played with larry bird in indiana state and he says man you don't like carolina players it, we, we were in a, we were in, a, in the draft room really and i said i said no I, I i like carolina players as long as they're good you know because they were going through you know the I hate to say it, but the McAdoo's, the Pages, who started on good Carolina teams, but I didn't think they were going to be great pros. You know, uh, Bryce Johnson. You know, I thought they were good players, but not great players, and weren't going to be good pros. So I, I would say, I don't think they're that good. Oh, you, 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 you don't like Carolina players. I'm like, no, I, I like Carolina players, but. They've got to be good. Well, and another example of how analytics aren't necessarily telling the full story all the time. Look at a kid like Brandon Clark out of Gonzaga, mm-hmm. right? He he had jump, he had hops through the roof, but he's, he had short wingspan. We were told he needed a lot of work on his jumper, and he fell all the way to 21st in the right. draft last year. What did he do this past Saturday? Now, the Grizzlies lost, mm-hmm. but Brandon Clark, who was supposed to be a rebounder, rim protector, and an offensive project, goes off for 20 points, and he's 4 or 5 from the three-point line. Yeah. You know, that game against the Portland Trailblazers on Saturday. Uh, that That's the beauty of sports. This is this is why we have our jobs, right? It's it's because it's not a perfect science. We try to perfect it. We try to control it. You ain't controlling. If, if, if you tell me you can't do something, I'm going to prove to you I can. Yeah. So if people tell Brandon Clark, hey, man, you're not a good shooter. He's like, well, I'll show you this now. I mean, Emeka Okafor, that they said that about him. He couldn't shoot. Well, that's where the scouts get their their pay. Do they stay around and end the practice? Do they do they watch him early warmups? Do they show up at the tip, or do they come out two hours before the game and watch these guys shoot? Because maybe Brandon Clark's not shooting threes in in a college game, and yeah. that's not good for Gonzaga. But maybe he is after practice. And if you stick around and watch, and I remember Scout saying, I used to watch Emeka Okafor shoot after practice with a manager, and he was shooting college threes. So he knew that he could shoot. Yeah. No, I've seen it too. Before we let you go, I, I tell people all the time, last year, the only two people telling me before the NBA draft last year that, that, that P.J. Washington was the pick for the Hornets was you and Muggsy Bogues. Mm-hmm. You were the two guys telling me P.J. Washington was the guy. The Hornets have a, I mean, and regardless of where they pick, they have to get it right. They've got a 73% chance of picking 8th, ninth, or 10th, and they've got a 26% chance of landing a top-four pick. Let's just operate under the assumption they, they get some good fortune tonight and they land a top-four pick of any kind. Who's the pick? Who should it be? Top four pick of any kind. I tell you what, uh, I don't know um, the the kid from Tel Aviv. I don't know his. I don't know his game. Um, but this is hard for me to say. But I do like Ball. You like Lamelo Ball? Yeah, I do. From what I've seen, I mean, a big big point guard. He can handle. He can pass. Uh, I think he's better than his brother. Um, I, th- I think it'd be hard to turn him down. Obi Toppin, you know what you're going to get. I think he'll be a good pro. I would love that pick for a long time. <laughs> I would love that. Pick. I-, I think those two guys kind of catch my attention. Again, I don't know the kid from Tel Aviv, and and I'd have to do a deeper dive on him. But Toppin, you're going to get a good kid 
who can play basketball. And then Ball is unique with his size as a point guard. I, I love Via just from the YouTube videos I've watched, amateur YouTube scouting mm-hmm. uh, with you. I love Obi Toppin. James Wiseman's interesting to me, but I, I don't know. Limited. I, I, I haven't seen enough. I think a little limited. Yeah, I haven't seen enough. Coach, you, that was great stuff, yeah, man. I fun. appreciate Thanks you. for having me on. Coach Matt Darty, ACC Network Analyst, longtime Tar Heel with us in studio every Thursday during the lunch hour. Good conversation there with the NBA Draft Lottery coming up tonight. The Hornets... They got a 26% chance to land in the top four. Will it work? Smoke's got both fingers crossed. That may or may not be enough. We'll come back. Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer. His piece in the Observer two days ago said that uh, what's happening on campus at Chapel Hill, it's, it's the smoking gun. It's proof that these student athletes aren't students at all. We'll talk about it next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.